0: Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, cause here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ken em. Joining me in studio, as always, he
1: is the co-host. His name is Padawan Jay. I'm going to make a guarantee right here and right now, this show will last longer than Francis Ngannou's last four fights.
0: Agreed. Definitely agreed. That man has been putting in some work in a uh-huh. hurry. But we have to put in our work and ourselves, so definitely join in the conversation with us on social media. You can find all our accounts on com. Join in on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and remember to use the hashtag ODPH for this episode. So let us kick off talking about the biggest sports story going on this week, and that is UFC 249. Yeah, The UFC returned to pay-per-view action this past weekend, live from Jacksonville, kicking off. One of three fights that they have scheduled for the Florida area. Uh And a return to form, a return to prominence, a return just to action and a sense of normalcy, I guess, is the easiest way to describe it. The UFC definitely came back in full force, so we are going to be talking some recap action. So, Pad, kick us off.
1: Yeah, so why don't we look at one of the main fights sticking out from the prelims, and it was one we talked about last week's show, uh, the welterweight matchup between Anthony Showtime Pettis and Donald Cowboy Cerrone. A little bit of controversy with this one, uh, as Anthony... Anthony Pettis ended up defeating Donald Cerrone by unanimous decision.
0: Yeah, this one definitely had a little bit of controversy to it uh, due to an eye poke that wasn't stopped for mm-hmm.
1: uh, time for Cerrone
0: to recover. Uh, really kind of questionable about this. Uh, it really threw him off his mm-hmm. game, and definitely it was a back and forth battle to say the least. Yeah. So it, see,
1: John Jones isn't the only one who gets away with eye pokes,
0: right? And yeah, like I said, when it happened, it was kind of like, wait, why are we not stopping yeah. the fight? And it's always troublesome to see that kind of happen mm. in, in any type, whether it's you know main card, prelims, whatever you want to define it as. Right. To see that happen definitely threw Cerrone off his game. And like we talked about in last week's show, Pettis definitely had the history with him, stepped up to the occasion. He looked great at Walter Waite. Mm. Cerrone, I, I hate saying it, looked like he's on the back end of the career. Yeah. and but
1: He's not at, like, like we talked last week, the Chuck Liddell place where – you know you're getting knocked that you're jaw broken up with a broken hand. He's not there, but you know, father time is catching up with him, and I think he's at the end.
0: Yeah, he definitely looked like he's nearing the end of the of the road, so to speak, in this this stage in his career. I would like to see him maybe get a couple more fights in and then call it a day. I I wouldn't mind seeing that, but you know that he's not going to be making any title runs anytime no, soon. And and no. you know, nothing to say, have shame about. He has a legendary MMA career, one of of the legends of the sport. It's all said and done. So this one definitely did not go in his favor. The eye poke, though, really stood out. Oh, yeah. And then I think really hampered him when it happened. And for Pettis, he stuck to a very solid game plan. I mean, Mm -hmm. like I said, very back and forth, but he comes back in the decision. So where he goes from here is anybody's guess. I mean, for him – I don't think a return to 155 is going to be in the cards. So I think he's stuck at 170, Right. and I think he can get back maybe into the mix, but he's got to make a big run. I don't, I don't know if he's at that stage either to do it. I think that he can definitely show up in some fights, but to make a title run, especially in that division, it's tough. Welterweight is really turned into a very stacked division to say yeah. the least. I don't know where he would necessarily go next, but I think he's ready to go whenever the UFC wants to call. So he can definitely do a spot-in fill-in duty, I think, right now.
1: Yeah, that, that's probably a safe bet for him. I mean, it's it's a name. It's a guy that, you know, if you call up somebody like a Jorge Masvidal or like a Damian Maia and you go, hey, you want to fight Anthony Pettis? Uh, very few would turn it down.
0: Yeah, very few would turn it down. To be honest with you, I personally would love to see him fight Rafael Dos Anjos at 170. Ooh, that'd be good. I th- I'd love to see a rematch because we knew that – when RDA defeated Pettis uh-huh. for the lightweight title, he gave him a concussion the first round, and Pettis never really recovered. Right. I'd love to see him run it back again. So for me, I think that fight would make a lot of sense at 170. Yeah. But we'll have to kind of wait and see because I think for Masvidal, Usman, and the upper echelon of that, car, yeah. that division, they're already locked in for Fighter Island when yeah. that comes to fruition later this summer. Yep. So... Going from there, I mean, it's anybody's guess where Pettis winds up, but that's where I think he's going to more like
1: more or less wind up. More than likely, just because, I mean, I'm looking at the welterweight matchup on UFC.com slash rankings. He's currently the number 15-ranked uh, welterweight fighter in that division. Immediately ahead of him is some dude named Conor McGregor, and, well, we know he's not going to fight him because eh, he's a little busy these days. Uh, he's a little tied up.
0: Oh, we'll get to Connor later. Yeah, we'll
1: get to Connor later. Later. I mean, there's Vicente Luke and Robbie Lawler immediately after him, so well, those might be some okay fights.
0: Luke a might do. I mean, he he defeated our guy Nico Price, mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday, so that fight would make a lot of sense too. I mean, just depends on how how fast they went Sky Skyrod Luke is there. So. Yeah.
1: Uh, anybody's guess where Showtime's going to wind up next, but we'll be excited to see. Yeah. Uh, well, after that, one, why don't we jump into the main card, and the three fights are really you know, stuck out to us. Sure. The, that would be the first one would be the heavyweight matchup between Francis and Ganu, absolutely knocking out his opponent, I won't even attempt the name, in 20 seconds. Good Lord. If you went up to go to the bathroom, you'd miss the whole fight.
0: To say that Rosenstruik had a chance in this, I, I, I mean, he had a chance. He no, had, a, it wasn't he, much. He, but. Had a, he had a chance. I know some people were saying he was going to have an upset, but Nganu is just on a different level. Mm-hmm. Nganu came in there, and even when he was throwing those hands, it didn't even look like he got the full power of his punching in no. to knock him out. No, it was, which is it was scary.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. It wasn't like the Alistair Overeem knockout, but, right. it, but it was still like a very quick knockout. So, that, no, you're absolutely right, where he wasn't getting his full power in.
0: No, he definitely didn't get his full power in, but once he got Rosenstruik back against the cage. Mm hmm. You really saw him take over just yeah. 20 seconds right into the fight. It, yeah. it, Ngannou wanted to make sure work, and I think since the Derek Lewis fiasco—that's mm-hmm. the only way I can really describe it—he has been listening to the critics and is kind of reinvigorated him to yeah, of oh, you know, yeah. just a different approach.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I'm looking at his record here, and you look at okay, he lost to Derek Lewis, like you mentioned, and before that, he lost to Stepe. Before that, it was like, okay, he beat Alistair Overeem in a minute 42, beat Arlovsky in a minute 32, Anthony Hamilton in a minute 57, you know, beat another gentleman in a minute 34. So it's like, okay, you know, fairly quick fights, but nothing scary. After the Derrick Lewis fight, he beat Curtis Blades in 45 seconds, Cain Velasquez in 26, Junior Dos Santos in a minute and 11, and then Rosenstruck on Saturday in 20 seconds. It's night and day. It's
0: night and day difference, and he is definitely the guy to be watching in that heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. I know everybody is waiting to see what is going to go on with Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier. Mm-hmm. Pad, if you are the matchmaker for the UFC, who do you line up Ngannou against?
1: Cormier. Okay. Give uh, give him one more fight. I know he's had some pretty stellar knockout uh, knockout Wednesdays last couple of fights. But, you know, Cormier is, is kind of, I would say, that kind of last big test before you get to Stipe. Yeah,
0: that would fight would make a lot of sense. I'm not disputing that. i The only thing I would say with Cormier is we know he has one more fight left in him, mm-hmm. and then he's retiring. And he's one of these guys that I fully believe when he says he's going to retire after oh, yeah. the next oh, fight, yeah. it's locked in. I think he wants that one last title shot. So I don't see him taking this fight. I just, I, I don't. I, I couldn't understand if they want to do like an interim title mm-hmm. since Miocic is currently champion, but obviously he's uh, being an essential worker and being involved with the fire right. department in Cleveland. Right. And so whatever his future lies, if he's not coming back right away, they want to do Cormier and Ganu for the interim title? Sure, sure. That makes sense. Sure. Otherwise, I could see him waiting for Miosich and doing their trilogy fight, and you know what? I have no issue doing that. Right. And for Ngannou, I'll even throw a
1: wild name. Mm-hmm. John Jones. Hey, John don't want that smoke.
0: John might not want that smoke, but eventually he's got to get up to heavyweight. And, John
1: would get eaten alive by Ngannou. I realize how good John is and you know how skilled he is. He would get eaten alive.
0: Yeah, he probably would, but the thing is with John... You've cleaned out the light heavyweight division. The move up to heavyweight is inevitable. You can call it the Thanos Mm -hmm. move. I don't care what you want to define it as. Mm -hmm. He's got to move up eventually. Ngannou is a name that will draw a box office, and you can't say it won't because now he's just been on a whole different level, and to see where he's going to go, it just makes the most sense because if John is going to make a real run Mm -hmm. at that division— then he's got to go through the biggest name they have right now. Mm-hmm. And Ganu is sitting there waiting for somebody to come up and do something. So that being said, I fully see this happening. And I can definitely say that Dana would be smart to do this. It would generate a lot of buzz depending on what you want to do with John Jones because obviously involving him, it's, it's not as easy as a snap of the fingers to make it happen. Yeah. So when you factor that in... <sighs> It, you know that's where you're gonna kind of have to dance around, but other than that, I you have to wait to see what Miosic is doing. If and I would mean I would put him against Miocic in a heartbeat
1: for yeah. ganu
0: but then that leaves Daniel Cormier out in the loop. So
1: it's it, it'd be a tough fight for John just because I'm looking at the statistics here. Uh, they're both six foot four inches tall. I'm gonna take the weight out of it just because they're in different weight classes right now. John, of course, has an eighty-four and a half inch reach. Uh, whereas uh, Francis Ngannou has an 83-inch reach. Mm. So John essentially has almost no advantage against Ngannou like he does his usual opponents.
0: Right, and I think that would be the challenge because if John is claiming that he is the GOAT or in the GOAT conversation, you have to face the best people available.
1: Also, I think the scary thing for John is he likes to grapple. He likes to wrestle and take him to the ground. Grappling and wrestling with people makes it real easy for an uppercut to come your way.
0: Oh, it does. And that's the thing that any wrestler that is going to face Ngannou has to deal with. And I think Cormier would know this going right in. If he's going to go for a takedown, he's got to eat some shots. Mm-hmm. Can Cormier, at his age and with the wear and tear that he's done to his body, yeah. withstand those punches from Ngannou to get that takedown? Mm. I don't know. I mean, it makes for a very dramatic t- you know, storytelling. And a dramatic fight, but
1: it, I mean, it, also at the same token, according to Francis and Wikipedia page, his fighting style is boxing. Okay, so you can't re- really wrestle Ngannou just because you get that close in with him, You're gonna take his, get your head taken off. You really want? We saw this with Ronda. You really want to out try and outbox a boxer? Well, that's the thing. You know that you can take him to the ground.
0: Miocic did when they first fought. Right. So it's not to say that. You can't take him down, but where we don't know is since that fight that Nganu lost to Miosicin, mm. where is his wrestling at? Because he hasn't been demonstrating it, but he doesn't need to because no. he's just been going through and ripping through everybody. Right. So that being said, it's going to be an interesting line for the UFC to walk. Mm-hmm. If Cormier wants to do this, and you know it's going to be his final shot, I have to imagine an interim title has to be involved. I just I, I can't see him taking this fight otherwise. I know Ingunu wants to fight Cormier. I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And if they want to do it for no belt involved, sure. But I'm just trying to think what Cormier wants to do. Cause yeah. ulti- ultimately he is going to be the one to make the decision. Cause Miosic, like I say, until we hear something that he is coming back mm-hmm. and a definitive timetable of when he's returning to MMA competition, mm-hmm. that division's held up. Right. So if you want to try throwing in a different name, sure you can. And that's why I said, John Jones would make some ideal mm-hmm. noise, but You know, for Cormier, I think he's going to be the linchpin, depending on what he wants to do. If he wants to wait for Miosic, they can do that, and then Ngannis on the sidelines, which I think after this performance, you you can't – if you're the UFC, you can't afford to do. No.
1: I just don't see him doing it.
0: So they got some decisions they need to make. Mm Mm-hmm. But speaking of some decisions...
1: Yeah. Uh, in our co-main event, we had the bantamweight matchup between Henry Cejudo def- uh, against Dominic Cruz, and Henry Cejudo defended his belt against Dominic Cruz, uh, knocking him out in the second round. Okay. Well, this one got some issues with. mm mm-hmm. This one, in my opinion,
0: was a bad stoppage. Okay. Now, this is my opinion, because when Cejudo was doing his damage, he had... Cruz pinned up against the cage. Cruz was rising to his feet. Now, if you note the time stamp of when this knockout happened. Four minutes and 58 seconds. So two more seconds, that round is over. Mm -hmm. Now, if Cruz is rising from the ground to his feet, if he's not defending, what do you
1: call in this situation, Pat? Mm -hmm. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, because the thing of it is, is, It's a split-second decision. It's in the heat of the moment. It's easy to say this with slow-motion replay and watching it 35-plus times. I'm sure they showed it during the fight, and you get a better and better look at it. But in the heat of the moment, I don't know.
0: Like I said, for me watching at home, making my opinion, and I know Rich from 3FN, and I was watching with him as well, we all had the same opinion that this was an early stoppage. Mm. So that being said... I understand Cruz had some choice post-fight comments to make. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with him. I think that what he was saying, and he alluded to the referee smelling of cigarettes and alcohol, take it for what you will. That is his quote. The UFC is going to have to do a little investigating about this, in my opinion, if that's the case. And if he wants to say what he is, I feel that he's alluding to, allegedly. Right. It really made for a bad look for him. Oh, yeah. And well,
1: and I can understand why he said what he did, and that's his own opinion. You know, we've all been there. Heat of the moment. Something doesn't go our way, and we say something that, in the moment, we think we believe. But at the end of the day, it's not exactly how we quite feel.
0: No, and I can understand his, his feelings behind this, not saying about the alcohol and cigarette comments.
1: Oh, yeah, and, and it, I can understand his frustration because, you know, at the end of the day, He knew he was getting up. He knew I was standing up. I knew that the round wasn't over because I didn't hear the air horn blow. Mm -hmm. And
0: for him coming back from the injuries he has had, Mm -hmm. to have his comeback fight end like that, Mm -hmm. I can fully understand his frustration. I get it. Not disputing that one bit. But he has to be smarter about those comments and understand heat in the moment. And as we are recording, there has not been an apology or uh, retraction from those comments that i have seen so that being said that wasn't the big headline coming out of this fight no
1: uh so hudo and if i you could see me i'm using air quotes here retired
0: yeah he gave this big farewell speech at the end of the fight so pad let me ask you this do you buy it
1: to a certain degree uh on the on the one hand you know, I believe it that he's done with MMA. That you you think about just his you know sports competing, from what I can see here on his Wikipedia page, uh, his first uh, professional but note I'm again professional uh, MMA fight was on March second of 2013. So he's been doing MMA fights for the last seven years. You go back to that and I believe this is his uh, wrestling uh, record here from well, Yes, it is uh, his wrestling record. There's stuff on here dated back as far as October 23rd, 2005. So he's been doing this for 15 years. So on the one hand, I can understand him sitting here and going, you know what? Thanks for everything. I've done everything. You know, I've won an Olympic gold medal. I've won two, you know, UFC belts. I've defended them. However, many times I've been to the mountaintop. I've done everything I can do. Uh, you know, I'm going to go out and top." I don't, doubt that but i again i think he's done with mma i was talking with my brother-in-law on sunday and he threw this out to me and i you know it makes a lot of sense obviously with c19 and, and everything going on the olympics got pushed back to mm-hmm. 2021 which also meant that the dates and what, however it works out for people to qualify for team usa and their respective sports got pushed back what's to stop him from trying to give one more run at the olympics
0: it's not a crazy idea. I mean, obviously, you were the first one to break that idea to me. So I, maybe I'll I will say maybe, but I just don't buy this, uh-huh. and I this is my reasoning why. Since he defeated Demetrius Johnson, uh-huh. he beat T.J. Dillashaw, beat Marlon Moraes, and now Cruz. Uh-huh. So it's not to say that he has cleaned out the division, because I I just don't feel that he has but i feel that he wants a bigger payday and i think that he wants to feel that the ufc should make him a bigger star sure and i just don't see it
1: i'm sorry no i mean yeah you're good you know your professional record is 16 and 2 in 18 fights mm-hmm. you know you're you're champ champ you know you've beaten demetrius johnson tj doll charmalin Moraes, and now Dominic cruz like you said that's a who's who in in you know the ufc these days but you're not exactly, like, in terms of, for me, thinking about, you know, if you're a marketable, you know, a big payday or making them a big star in the UFC, it, it kind of comes down to advertising. Are you marketable? You know, are, you, are is UFC's marketing department, their PR team, able to, able to put together an advertisement for ESPN, for Facebook, for Twitter, you know, for Instagram, what have you? And really sell people who might be casuals or might be, uh, you know what I get an occasional fight if I know the name, you know, but I don't watch it all the time. Is your name big enough to get the casuals or even the every once in a whileers to go, you know what, I got a free Saturday night. I just had a good paycheck from work. Yeah, why don't I why don't I get some people together and watch the UFC fight? Right now? No. I don't think he is.
0: I don't think he is. And I I'll just break it down like this. He was lucky to beat Demetrius Johnson when he won the flyweight title. Let us not forget that was a split decision. A split decision. It wasn't unanimous. It was split. Mm-hmm. Dill- or Johnson never got his rematch. Nope. Johnson went to one, champion, one championship for the
1: Askren trade. The worst trade in all of sports history. Yeah. I mean, I'm back, not counting just MMA.
0: All of sports. Looking back on it now, you can't really argue that point. Nope. So that being said... Since he went up, he defeated T.J. Dillashaw, so he became the champ, champ. And then all of a sudden, this is when he created the character. And I have to say, in my opinion, he created a character, the King of Cringe, Triple C, mm-hmm. champ, champ, like Connor McGregor. And all of a sudden, you just see him doing those weird video vignettes. Well, wasn't
1: him. it at the at something for the fight over the weekend, or maybe I don't know when the video was from because it was the first time I'd seen it where he had these, like, pillow-looking thing. It was from the wa- the weigh-ins this weekend. Oh, okay, so it was this weekend. It, he had these pillow-looking things made out of uh, Dominic Cruz's head, and he brought, like, two or three of them to the official weigh-ins, not the ones they would normally do on television where, hey, we already know they're in, but we're just doing this for theatrics. You know, the actual weigh-ins in the hotel ballroom or wherever it was mm. with, the, with the press sitting in the crowd, and he brought these things in, and he showed it off to the crowd, and then he promptly drop-kicked all three of them into the press.
0: Yeah, one of which was Demetrius Johnson. Mm-hmm. Then he had Dominic Cruz and he liked his quote-unquote hit list. Look. It's funny. I'll it, give him that. It's funny, but I don't really see how you're moving the needle. No, you're, I, you're not. I, yeah, you're not. I mean, y- sure, you had a great win over Dillashaw. I'm mm-hmm. not, not going to dispute that. Yeah, And sure, Moraes, yeah, you you had a great win against him.
1: It, and, did, it didn't move the needle like Conor McGregor did at that point presser that infamous presser where it was like all the champs and all the it was yeah. their, it was their biggest presser of all time and, and connor was crap talking every male fighter that was on there some of whom would take as good as he is some of those guys would take his head off inside of 30 seconds exactly that moves the needle when you okay. got a guy who's ready to take on your entire male roster no matter the weight difference that moves the needle drop kicking guys you've beaten's head that are made out of pillows
0: not really. Yeah, drop-kicking wrestling buddy heads. That's the easiest yeah. way to describe it. If you remember wrestling buddies, the, oh, yeah, the yeah. old stuffed dolls they yeah. used for WWE. Yeah, that's what he was doing. Yeah. And I, and I, he's also done these, like, other weird ones at weigh-ins where, like, what do you have, like a fake snake or something? Yeah, like, something like that. He had some weird shit like that. And I'm yeah. sorry. Like, I, I just look at it and go, you're trying too hard to be Conor McGregor. And you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like there's certain people that are very charismatic on the mic. McGregor is one.
1: Yeah. Chael
0: Sonnen is another. Yeah. Diaz. Diaz brothers are very unique in their interview styles, but they can definitely generate some needles. Colby Covington, love yeah. him or hate him, he'll generate some buzz for you. Yeah. So Hudo is not that guy. That's not his personality. Like, I'm sorry. He he's a great fighter. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But he's not a Conor McGregor that's going to move the needle. He's no. just that's not him. I mean, you take a he's look. He's tried.
1: At, he just hadn't worked.
0: Well, he's tried, but you mean take a look at his since he's won the belt. What's mm-hmm. happened?
1: Uh, not much. Yeah, I mean, just, just kind of these childish and childish antics that you know remind me of something you'd see on TV from an elementary school kid.
0: Yeah, because I mean, once he defended against Dillashaw, because I, I got to remember that. Yeah, Dillashaw came down to fight him, mm-hmm. and he beat Dillashaw. Then he went up, fought for the vacant bantamweight, mm-hmm. and then flyweight became vacant because
1: well, Dillshaw dropped it just to focus on bantamweight.
0: Yeah, so it, it just it, it's been like a big mess mm-hmm. with their lower weight classes. Yeah, so for so to kind of bail now is it just doesn't add up? Like I'm sorry, you defend it once. And then now all of a sudden. Argu- arguably twice. Yeah, but, arguably know. twice, but if you want to really get nit-
1: nitpicky about Once it. Once on one belt, another one on another belt.
0: Yeah, however you want to break it down. It's like for you to retire and kind of say, okay, that's all I'm going to leave on. I just don't buy it. Like, I'm sorry. You're not convincing me, and I think that you really just want to get a big payday from the UFC, which I'm not mad at you about for getting paid. I no. I will never be mad about a fighter getting paid, but, you know, really – know where you're ranking on the the, the lineage here I and mean, you're mm-hmm. not you're not gonna generate butts in the seats like Conor McGregor does. Sure, the track record's there, but you're the king of cringe. That's that's your your moniker now. Triple C. I'm sorry you need to do something else. So if he was really retiring, I mean he's left a a, a very noteworthy legacy. Yeah. But We'll have to wait and see if, if it really happens, because I think Bantamweight, they really need to get refocused on the rankings, and if Jose Aldo is ready to go, mm-hmm. then maybe you make that fight, and then we yeah. see what happens, and sure. I'm sure you can make a big payday out of it. Yeah.
1: That. But to cap off the evening, Pat, mm-hmm. uh, you had the lightweight matchup between Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson, and, and if we all remember, uh, this was the fight that had title implications in it uh, because of C-19 and and... Uh, Habib wasn't able to travel out, out of Russia. You know, the winner of this fight was going to get Habib whenever that is able fight is able to be uh, hap- made happen. We all want it to be Tony Ferguson. And well, that's not going to happen now because Justin Gaethje defeated Tony Ferguson via TKO.
0: Let me put it this way, Pad. Gaethje put a whooping on Ferguson. Oh, yeah. This was Justin Gaethje's greatest fight that I've ever seen him in a cage. Of all the fights he has done, he fought smart. Yeah, he was very tactical. He was on point with his punches. The only thing that was scary about this is he did not hold back. You know, right. you know how certain fighters will just kind of work your jab and not go full mm-hmm. full force. Kind of like how the Diaz brothers fight; they just they kind of do the Stockton slap, they call it. Yeah, yeah. Gaethje was winding up and swinging for the fences, mm-hmm. and Ferguson, to his credit. Stayed in the pocket and ate every shot he had, Mm -hmm. which is insane when you watch this fight. Yeah. Gaethje didn't budge. He kept pressing forward. Mm -hmm. Ferguson, I don't know if he got a concussion early. The only damage, which I know for a fact, is he got a broken orbital bone that he now needs surgery on. Yeah,
1: He's actually in the hospital. There's video of him on, I want to say, maybe his Instagram, dancing in his uh, hospital room in a dressing gown with that little like monitor IV thing still hooked up to him. Insane. Absolutely He's, 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 insane. Still, he's dancing in the uh, hospital room.
0: And for him to take that weapon...
1: When uh, he hadn't lost in... Since uh, UFC, uh, UFC on fights. Fox, uh, that was on May 5th of 2012. Now, if you don't understand how long ago it was, I can't quote the thing I saw on the MMA subreddit uh, verbatim, but it was kind of detailing like how long it had been since uh, uh, Tony Ferguson had lost. Two things I remember very distinctly off that list. One, women weren't fighting in the UFC yet. Mm. And then Conor McGregor was still on welfare. That's how long ago it was. Damn, it's been a minute since he's lost. So you got you got Gaethje going in there, you know the man who's been looking to take out Habib's, taking take, take Habib's head off for the last five six years, and you you're standing there, no fear. Well, it just goes to show what Gaethje
0: was ready for this moment, and we've I've long said on this podcast, Gaethje has been overlooked by the UFC. Mm-hmm. I know that his fighting style. Listen, he's great when he gets in there. He likes to scrap up with people. Yeah, He definitely has no issue throwing hands with whoever. And to see him finally get in there and really demonstrate this is what I'm bringing to the table to the UFC brass, mm-hmm. I think is huge.
1: Well, and you stand, you look at the stats just on UFC.com from the fight. You know, Gaethje, 143 total strikes to 136 from Ferguson. You know, significant strikes, same number. Takedowns, Zero. No, yeah, submission attempts zero, knockdowns zero. You know, what passes you, zero. You know what you get out of Gaethje. Let's say Gaethje keeps his uh, keeps one thing intact: his zero percent grappling accuracy. Yeah, he does not have any intention on grappling with you. He's he, if, if, if the stats on his uh, fighter page on UFC are to be believed, in his entire UFC career, he's attempted one takedown. I would. Lord full, knows when it was.
0: Uh, probably against the Poirier fight, because I I think that's the one he lost. Could be. Yeah, that one, I I think, no, because Poirier, he got knocked out super early. Uh, Either way, this is just, or no, he got knocked on the fourth round. Man, there's so many knockouts that he's had in this cage. And then, like I said, I think the the Poirier one, because he was losing that one, that's where he took the knockout of. Because usually his, his ring work doesn't go past the first round. No. I mean, he got stopped in the fourth by Poirier. But to take a look at most of his other cage work, it's been first-round TKOs.
1: First first round against Cerrone, first round against Edson Barbosa, first round against James Vick, first round against Brian Foster. That was back in World Series of Fighting.
0: Yeah, when he came over to the UFC, he came in to definitely set the tone and jump into one of the deepest divisions going. Mm-hmm. For Tony Ferguson to take this fight, I fully applaud him. Yeah. Because you know what? He could have sat out. He could have waited. He wanted to stay active. Albeit, though, when he did the fake weight cut, uh, before, when the original fight was scheduled and then to do another way cut. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, I, in my opinion, that was probably a dumb move. Maybe. Because you got to let your body heal and recover. And it probably threw his timing off because he did not look like the Tony we know coming out the gate. He, mm-hmm. looked, he looked a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Hard to say what it is. Yeah, but it could be Geachy just rocked him early because Gechi was throwing haymakers mm-hmm. the entire time. He went in there with a mission, and he set that mission. Oh yeah, which take like I said, take another away from Ferguson. He stayed in that pocket. He took a whipping. Oh yeah, a whooping. If you know whatever you want to say, he just got his ass kicked. And when he got knocked out, and they had to stop the fight because by the fifth round, when he was standing, we we often talk about the stinky leg mm-hmm. stance. He was out on his feet. This is the only time I've ever seen a man physically knocked out standing. Mm. Oh, okay. He was in rough shape. So the stoppage made perfect sense. Yeah. And like I said, he took a whooping on this one to try put in mildly. Ferguson risked it all and came up broke. Mm-hmm. No shame in it, though, because as a fighter, this is what you, you get paid to do. You get paid to yeah. go fight. You don't get paid to sit on the sidelines. So this being said, Pad, what do you think is next for Ferguson? Let me go there first.
1: Um, I think you, you have a fight, maybe somebody else in the lightweight division, and then whatever ends up happening with Gaethje and Habib, then you make that fight. You know, I, I, unless there's some sort of medical injury and he's not able to fight for the next couple of months, I think as soon as Ferguson is able to fight, you make a you make a fight up with some, you make him fight somebody else in the lightweight division. In the meantime, you feel, until Gaethje and uh, Habib happens.
0: I think what the UFC should do, in my opinion, is Dustin Poirier, Ferguson. Let that happen when Ferguson is healed. I don't think you need to rush Ferguson back by any means. No. He's, got, he's got to get surgery, so he's going to be on the shelf for a while. Yeah. Justin Gaethje has locked in Habib. That fight is going down. I want to say it's going to be... In, I've heard September. I've heard August, September. Uh, Fighter Island is going to be the place, Yay. which is the only place they can have, they can have it. I know that Conor McGregor has emerged from wherever he's been hiding out on Twitter and decided to attack everybody in the 155 division. Yeah, don't put any stock in it, folks. I'm I argue- know. I
1: know. As we record today, he's even claimed that there's a he's got a lightweight championship matchup set for July. I want to say he said we don't know anything. He could be. He could just be talking things up to get you know the proverbial train moving on to his next fight.
0: Well, he's generating buzz because what happens? is when you have fighters that think they're bigger than the sport and they have been inactive for a while. Now, let's let's not get it twisted. He did come back. He did defeated Cerrone. Mm-hmm. But when was that fight?
1: I'm looking it up right exactly.
0: now. Exactly. It's already been past forgotten in the, in the fans' eyes. It's what have you done lately and where are you waiting to go? Because ever since that fight, it's been, okay, well, what's going to happen with Connor? For him, I'm already going to tell you what's going to be the next fight for him. It's going to be the Diaz trilogy because that fight makes the most sense for the UFC
1: to do. Uh, Connor's fight against Donald Cerrone was back in January.
0: Right. So now we are in May. Mm-hmm. Four months removed. Mm-hmm. And then Con- Connor
1: Connor came out of that looking like a million bucks because that was only forty seconds. Exactly. So, so. he's not exactly hurt.
0: No, he's not hurt. He's sitting on the sidelines just wait- waiting to see what happens. Now, granted, everything going on with C nineteen, has- can't get out of Ireland. Has been a little pushback. Sure.
1: Or wherever he lives because I can't tell you.
0: Right, which you, I assume he's 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 back there in Ireland. Yeah. So as soon as everything's lifted, I'm sure the UFC is going to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's what fight makes the most sense. And he's not going to fight Habib. I'm sorry. Everybody keeps saying that that fight's going to happen. No. It's not happening.
1: No. If, if, it, if the Habib fight had been a little closer, you know, a little more give me a coin and I'll tell you who should have won type of thing, yeah, you got an argument. It wasn't close.
0: No, it wasn't close. Habib mauled him. So there's... No real push no. for it other than, sure, you're going to create another hostile environment. Yeah. And you're going to have... You're going to have some, to lock up all the dollies. Well, you know what's going to happen? You're going to do this on Fighter Island where it's unsanctioned. Ugh. And it's going to be an absolute shit show. Aye. No, that's exactly what's going to happen. Aye. You you can't tell me otherwise.
1: Yeah, no, I can see Dana doing that. Oh, yeah, because Dana's going to do it because, yeah, it'll generate buzz. But It'll generate buzz. It'll generate a lot of money, and that's all he's going to think about.
0: Oh, sure. And you know what? As a businessman, sure. Hey, go get paid. But at the expense of your sports reputation... That's where you got to kind of look at it and see. Okay, is it really worth putting this fight on when Connor is coming off one win over an aging Cowboy Cerrone? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, is it enough to jump Justin Gaethje in the rankings? Hell no. No. Gaethje just defeated your number one ranked guy for how many years now? Yeah. With ease. The game plan was simple. Yeah. Hit him until he couldn't go down. Ferguson could not get anything off. Usually, as wild and orthodox striking would would work. Yeah. yeah. He, he looked slow. He looked absolutely slow for Ferguson standards. So how do you make that fight? You don't. This fight is locked up for Gaethje Habib. This Mm -hmm. is going to happen this summer, barring any travel restrictions, barring any wacky injuries that might happen. The question is, can Gaethje stop Habib's takedown? That is going to be the ultimate question to ask. Now, Mm -hmm. Now, Gaethje can wrestle, which he does not do, but if I am him... I know what Habib is going to do. Habib is going to try doing the Sambo-style takedowns on you all day. He's going to try mauling.
1: No, say so Habib's going to try and be like, Ivan Drago, I break you.
0: Yeah, he's going to absolutely stay there and tr- try wearing him out. Can Gaethje stop the takedowns? Because what Gaethje's going to have to do is prevent him and make this into a standing match. Habib can strike, but he is not a striker. Mm-hmm. So that being said... Gaethje, I think, is in prime position to maybe make some noise and maybe be the guy. I mean, it just writes into the fairy tale story that the guy that came from the World Series of Fighting came in with the reputation of just being a knockout artist, has the chance to defeat arguably the pound-for-pound best fighter on the planet.
1: For what it's worth, uh, UFC.com lists Gaethje's takedown defense uh, for his career as 80%.
0: Well, it depends on who he's fought, though, in the World Series of Fighting. I mean, that's a big difference from fighting Habib. Uh Because nobody has figured out how to stop Habib's takedowns. Nobody. And if he gets Gaethje on the ground, how is Gaethje going to manage? Now, Gaethje can wrestle, but we haven't seen it. And to take on an elite grappler such as Habib, he's got between now and August to figure it out. I think he's going to, but he definitely needs to put some work in to do it. Uh Mm-hmm and the one thing he just knows that he's not going to have to worry about is Conor McGregor. Conor is going to sit there and just light up Twitter until somebody pays attention to him, but he's not going to get this one, folks. Nope. UFC 249 cemented Justin Gaethje as your number one contender for the lightweight title. I don't acknowledge that interim stuff, and neither did Gaethje. Gaethje threw the belt down. I like that. That I'll wait for the real one, which is the right move. That was good. Why be a paper champion when you can have the real belt? We're going to find out when that fight happens in August, but UFC 249 was an amazing return for the UFC. They have two more cards coming this week. We're going to break them down a little later in the show, but hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on UFC 249? Were you excited to see the fights? Were you not? And what was your takeaways from the big three main events? We definitely want to know. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute.
1: Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference.
0: Back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and time to run the ropes and talk a little pro wrestling talk. Uh huh. This past weekend was the WWE's Money in the Bank pay per view. Uh, dare I say, one of the most anticipated pay per views of all the year in pro wrestling. Yeah. Because the winners of the match get an automatic title shot at whatever champion they want to go after in the calendar year. They just have to cash in the briefcase. Anytime,
1: anywhere, anyplace.
0: Yes. So this year was going to be a little different than years past. That this year, the match was going to be staged in Titan Tower, Mm -hmm. the home of the WWE uh, corporate headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. And we really didn't know what to expect from this event. Right. Boy, did we get something. Yeah, we did. So let us break down the card pads. So starting from the beginning.
1: Yeah, so on the pre-show, uh, you had Jeff Hardy defeat Cesaro via pinfall. Nothing really special there. You know, Jeff Hardy coming back from injury, I want to say it was. I forget what it was. Uh, Jeff Hardy coming back and having kind of his first match You know, since he returned to SmackDown. I want to say it was last week or something like that.
0: Yeah, his redemption story right now on SmackDown is one of the big storylines they're pushing. Yeah. And obviously, he's going to set up for a big match against Sheamus, which... I don't know when that's going to happen. I know the Backlash pay per view has been announced, mm-hmm. so I would assume there, but Probably. they're really trying to make something happen with Hardy. Uh, great match. Uh, I always say I, I always like to see Cesaro featured more prominently yeah. on the card. Yeah. But this was a great way to just let him showcase his skills and great way to start the show.
1: Yeah. Uh, after that, jumping into the main card, you had the fatal four way tag team matchup for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships between uh, the New Day, uh, Lucha House Party, uh, Miz and Morrison, and then the Forgotten Sons. Uh, but And you had the New Day retain their championships.
0: This one was a fun match. No, yeah. Nothing super crazy. John Morrison is an athletic freak. Yeah, a little bit. The Shining Wizard he pulled off in this was yeah. absolutely bananas. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I where do you be, even begin to describe his athletic ability? Mm-hmm. But overall, this was pretty... Uh, Standard, Standard.
1: Uh, I mean, it. it, it normally Fatal 4-Way tag team matchups are exciting because, oh, look at all the people, all the craziness. But they've been doing these multi-man tag team matchups for the belts for, like, the last couple of pay-per-views.
0: Yeah, SmackDown's tag team division is not good because no. they don't really have any storylines going. I know when the Usos were taken off the table because one is injured for... Uh, Eight to nine months. Yeah, for a very lengthy time period, it really threw a wrench in everybody's plans. The Forgotten Sons got the call from NXT, and, yeah. they, and they've looked good since they've been up there. Yeah. But this one is just kind of like, hey, let's have another four way title match. Hey, here yeah. we are.
1: So, no real storyline, no real surprise here. No. Next match. Uh, after that was just a random matchup that was thrown together where initially it was supposed to be R-Truth versus who the heck? MVP MVP. Uh, MVP called in uh, kind of an ace in the hole, you know, his backup plan, and uh, fa- R-Truth faced Bobby Lashley, where Bobby Lashley annihilated the shit out of R-Truth. Uh, according to ProFightDB.com, uh, the fight uh, lasted a minute and 30 seconds.
0: Yeah. This Not one, exactly
1: Francis and speed, but it's up there.
0: No, this one was definitely a. Just straight-up ass-kicking. Uh,
1: it was a bathroom break.
0: It was a bathroom break. I know they're really high on pushing Lashley right now mm-hmm. with uh, MVP, which I, it could work. If MVP is doing what I think he's doing and that's forming a stable, Yeah, I'd be okay with it because um, he can talk on the mic. Lashley can't. It's mm-hmm. been well-documented. Mm-hmm. And I know when Apollo Crews comes back from the injury, which I think is uh, completely fake, too, by the way. I think okay. I, I've read various reports saying that that was scheduled to be that way. Okay. So, hoping that is the case. Haven't heard anything official, but if it is, uh, I think that pairing is going to be good. And if they throw in the Shane Thorne tag team, because I know MVP was trying to recruit mm. him and the other gentleman. Gotcha. Um, right there you go, which I am completely okay with. So, let's see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, next match.
1: After that was the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship matchup between Bailey uh, defending her belt against Tamina, and Bailey won. Uh, okay, matchup, all things considered. Like we said last week's show when we were previewing the card. You know, filler matchup. It's a, you know, it's just something to get Bailey some action on t- on the pay per view.
0: Yeah, this one was probably the most predictable of yeah. all the matches. Yeah. Uh, Tamina just coming back from all, an extended time period off, and I will say she put on a good match.
1: Yeah, she looked good.
0: Yeah, you, you could say Bailey did a lot of the work for yeah. it. Whatever the case is, it yeah. was an entertaining match. Yeah. Not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it definitely painted Tamina as a possible contender, which sure. it, I think is is very good for her because I think that. With injuries, she's just never been utilized right. So Mm -hmm. to see her get some time, it was definitely good. And like I said, this was a pretty standard match. So nothing really crazy except to extend the Sasha Bailey storyline one more time. Yep.
1: Uh, After that was the Universal Championship matchup between Braun Strowman defending his belt against Bray Wyatt, uh, and Braun won uh, defeating Bray Wyatt. And we should note it was Bray Wyatt, not The Fiend, although that matchup's coming probably in the next pay-per-view because based off the end of the match.
0: Yeah, I definitely would say that that is going to happen, which – I was surprised they didn't try doing some kind of taped shenanigans. Like Bray goes under the ring and comes back up as the fiend.
1: Well, I mean, this whole matchup was taped. So, Well,
0: well right, but uh, just to edit in. Like, mm. to see something different happen gotcha. with it. Because we knew this was going to be taped. The, this portion of the card was done at the Performance Center. Right. To clarify for everybody listening at home. And especially when you saw the... Firefly Funhouse uh, stuffed animals Mm -hmm. or puppets or the
1: the way I understood it with the pay-per-view was we knew going into it that the uh, ladder matchup for the Money in the Bank stuff at Titan Towers was Mm pre-taped. The way I had read it was that anything at the Performance Center was live. Okay. But and I know and but I and I didn't pick up on it, but I had read that the Braun Strowman Bray Wyatt matchup was taped because of the fact they wanted to kind of keep things a secret that they were bringing in the puppets.
0: Well, that would make sense. And, and, that was,
1: and that was a great touch. I like seeing them show up at ringside. I like just kind of the back and forth he and, and Bray were having where Bray's really trying to bring him back into the fold, you know, bring the black sheep home. And I got to say, I didn't believe it, but it was great selling to have Braun put that mask back on again and really like sell it like, oh, you got me under your control. I'm wanting you again. Nah, just kidding.
0: Yeah, I, they want to really extend that story, and, and I had no issue with that. I, obviously, they want to touch upon it with mm-hmm. Roman being out, and we don't have a timetable of when he's coming back. So right. I expect this feud to go on a little longer. And now the Braun's going to have to fight the Fiend, that the I'm assuming Backlash as well. So yeah, you know, let's see where we go from there. So mm-hmm. not a bad match though.
1: No, uh, after that was the WWE Championship matchup between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins, with Drew McIntyre retaining and beating Seth Rollins.
0: Yeah, this was the match of the night in my opinion. Yeah. Very good back and forth, very yeah. good storytelling. Rollins put over McIntyre huge mm-hmm. and did what they needed to do because they really need to establish McIntyre as a true champion. Yeah. I think unfortunately now in front with the lack of live crowds, you really need to sell that story to the watchers at
1: home. Well, what few watchers they have.
0: Well, either way, this is how they're going to be doing their business for yeah. further notice. So you yeah. really need to sell him as a champion. And Rollins did the right thing about putting him over. I mean, the ending was kind of weird, though. Mm -hmm. And the ending was after the match, McIntyre wanted Rollins to shake his hand.
1: Yeah, which you don't normally see between a uh, face and a heel.
0: Right, and I'm not sure what they're going to try going with. If it's something that's an evolution of Drew's character, Rollins did do it. Um, Mm -hmm. It just kind of seemed like, all right, what are you trying to establish? Are you going to try doing something like how Ring of Honor used to do with shaking hands after matches? Like, I don't know, like... It just kind of looked really weird to me. Yeah, it's like I I was not expecting to see that.
1: No, I wasn't either. But no, like you said, good matchup. You know, the the handshake at the end though was a little weird, just because the last you know, however many years, you've seen somebody extend their hand in WWE. It's like, don't do that. They're going to screw you over. Yeah. So, see
0: it here? We'll have to see where it plays out. Didn't really get too much of a follow-up on Monday night, but we'll follow up on Monday Night Raw after we get done talking about the main event.
1: Yeah. So, the main event, of course, was the Money in the Bank ladder matches, and I say matches because the unique thing they did with these is they had them both taking place at the same point. uh, Starting in different areas. The women started in what I presume to be the lobby of Titan Towers. Uh, The men started in uh, weight room, and I got to say, highlight of this entire matchup, men and women, Asuka, and just crazy dancing Asuka when you give her f- you know, free reign to just go nuts and start dancing. and like She's dancing in the elevator was the funniest thing I've seen in a while.
0: Asuka has really stepped up her character mm-hmm. as of late. I, I want to say, man, since the Royal Rumble, I think she's yes. really stepped it up, just being absolutely over the top mm-hmm. and it's paying off because she is stealing the scenery, stealing the spotlight wherever she is. Yeah. So her crazy antics from the minute she jumped off the,
1: the second floor of the lobby mm-hmm. onto everybody. And the cell and job of that was great because they're introducing the, the competitors back back and forth. They're switching men, women, men, women, and Asuka's music hits and you've, and you've got all the other women there. You've got Carmela, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, Nia Jackson, and Shayna Baszler all standing there and they're kind of like, Where's Asuka? Like where? Where is she? And then the camera just pans up and it goes, "Oh shit! There she is." Yeah.
0: So it was definitely wild to see, and it was a really nice touch-up, like mm-hmm. I, I have to say. So I I thought that was kind of cool. And then for the men's side, they started in the weight room. That's mm-hmm. in Titan Tower.
1: Say so Drew's taking a hit in his paycheck this week. Yeah, not, not Drew. Uh, Corbin.
0: Yeah, because I mean, breakdown who was in that?
1: Yeah, so that matchup was between with Otis, AJ Styles, Aleister Black, Daniel Bryan, King Corbin, and Rey Mysterio.
0: Yeah, and then, obviously, you started a little wild. You had Corbin throwing a weight through a mirror. It was like a
1: 45-pound weight or something like that, and he, bro- he broke the mirror, and he's standing there, and he's like, oh, shit, that's coming out of my paycheck, isn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah, it was absolutely wild to see.
1: Let's so say then, what was it, Ray tried killing AJ Styles by pinning him under a, a bar and some weights?
0: Yeah. So, it was Because kinda, we're not done killing that, man. Yeah, we're not done killing anything here, and we'll even get to that a little later here uh-huh. in, this, in this segment. Yep. It, but then they start going to work their way up to the roof because that's where the ring that has the ladders and yep. the briefcase hanging yep are all up there. So it's it, well,
1: over- I would say at one point who was it Ray Mysterio I think ran into the ran past the bathroom and there was Brother Love.
0: Yeah, you had Brother Love in a bathroom. He ran past, and then you had one room that was I don't know the Undertaker room. Which yeah, AJ
1: a, a. started having like some flashbacks. No oh, God, no, no.
0: Yeah, it was kind of a weird little segment. I will say I thought my favorite one was when they walked past. Vin, or when Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles got in Vince McMahon's office, they went in.
1: They went into that room, and I'm like, "Oh shit! I think this is Vince's office." And you couldn't tell just because as fast as they were moving, as much as the camera was moving. But as soon as they stopped and the, and they zoomed in on Vince, was, and you heard his theme music, I was like, "Oh shit! They're in trouble."
0: Yeah, it was really funny to see Vince, which I know a lot of people are saying Vince was wearing jeans, and mm. nobody has ever seen that
1: before. Probably not. Yeah,
0: a lot of a lot of the WWF superstars and uh, talent were were commenting about that. Ah. Uh. But to see him kind of have the little interaction, that was a cool thing too. Uh, the only one that I I didn't really I understand why it was in there, but I was like, okay, this this really feels out of place. Mm-hmm. Was when Dana Brooke took the briefcase from what we now know is the money in the bank conference room. Yeah. And that
1: one didn't make a lot of sense to me either.
0: Yeah. And they had, they had to cut away to a scene with Stephanie McMahon, which obviously looked edited Yeah, to explain to Dana, no, you need to go yeah. to the roof. And, because,
1: it was like, and like, and that's the thing is it looked dumb to do that just because it was very well documented and very well established that the, the briefcase was, would be on the roof that you got to go to the roof to get the briefcases. And, she just stops at the first briefcase she sees and goes, oh, I won." I was like, "Really? That's kind of dumb."
0: Yeah, but I understand they wanted to kind of do something fun because the, the overall idea for this was to have some fun comedy in it. Yeah, I mean, when they got down to Paul Heyman and catering, I'm oh my assuming, god, and he tries doing his spiel, and he tried doing his spiel in front of everybody because this is when all the competitors are at the table. Yep. And Otis goes through his best John Belushi Beluto. Oh my god, food, fight, food which, fight, which I did tweet out, and I, I want credit if WWE Shop is listening. If you do an Animal House T-shirt with Otis, I want one cent because I gave the idea out. And it was a fun little segment they did. Yeah, and then yeah. they finally get everybody to the roof. Yep, with the women's uh, competitors getting there first.
1: Well, the women's competitors get there first, and they're and they're fighting. And I want to say it was Nia Jax, Oscar, and somebody else. Was it Carmella? It might have been Carmella. Might, might have been Carmella there. You know, there and Oscar's their lo- the lone person at the top. And this is one thing out of the match that did make any damn sense to me. You got Asuka on one side of the uh, the ladder. King Corbin comes up on the other side of the ladder. They start fighting each other. And I'm like, you're going for entirely separate briefcases here. What are you doing? See, I
0: think it was just Asuka being crazy. Mm. And Asuka was just not laying anybody near the top. That could be. And I think, especially to win the hearts of the internet wrestling community, mm-hmm. anything that you can do to stop Corbin from winning the title. Yeah. You just, you have to do. Yeah. So I think that that was the only reason why. I agree with you. I thought it was kind of odd.
1: but It, it was it was just weird because, like, she gets up there and Corbin gets up there. And I honestly can't remember who started swinging first. Oscar. But I was just, like, they started fighting. I'm like, why are you fighting? Like, I'm not even like, stop fighting. You know, just why are you fighting? You're going for separate briefcases.
0: Yeah. I just thought it was, it was just a cool little fun moment just for the internet community. I yeah. Mean, that's the way I ran with it. Yeah. And then she winds up knocking off Corbin and wins the briefcase. Yep. So that part is done. Yep. Now, the men's competitors make it up to the roof. Mm -hmm. Baron Corbin should be arrested for murder.
1: Well, no, they're alive. Well, they're alive. They're alive. But but
0: attempted murder, should we say.
1: Attempted murder. Yeah, he kind of threw Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio off the top of the Titan Towers. They landed on a lower balcony, but it sure as shit looked like he killed them.
0: Yeah, which I
1: think everyone said was going to happen.
0: Yes, which now I'm saying his gimmick should be he's a serial killer because he tried mm. killing Elias at the performance center. Yep. He's now tried killing Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio off the roof. Yep. What is next for this madman? We need answers. So, yeah, so they're taken off the playing field. Yep. So you have AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, and Corbin fighting. And Otis. And Otis, who is lurking at the bottom of the – or he's at the bottom of the ring because everybody else is trying to climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. Corbin has been taken out at this point, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So you have AJ and Daniel Bryan trying to fight to the top of the briefcase. Yep. As they're doing this, since Otis has already tried climbing up the ladder, but he's breaking it because he's too big. Yep. He can't do nothing. And as they're fighting, they wind up losing the briefcase, and it falls right in the hands of Otis.
1: Boy, where have I seen that before? Hmm. 2CW A number of
0: years ago? Yeah, not too recently. They just did this too with John Morrison. Yep. So, kind of a, a rewind of an ending, but your winner of the men's Money in the Bank is Otis, yeah. which nobody saw coming.
1: No, I like, mean, I know we talked about it, but I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? Like, I don't think we ever seriously thought for a minute that Otis would win, you know, the Money in the Bank briefcase.
0: Yeah, the only person who called it was Ghost of Stratosphere. Okay. They did tweet it out. Uh, All right. Which that was a, like they should win, like they were pulling and. Honest to God, I think everybody from Rich from Three FN to you to Coach to everybody about damn lost their minds. Yeah, when
1: Otis won, I couldn't believe it.
0: I, who called this? Like I, I, if anybody is winning 2020, it's him. It's Otis. It's him. Yeah, he has the best storyline going on SmackDown right mm-hmm. now with him and Mandy Rose and yep. and everything going on there. He's now won Money in the Bank. Yep, I heard from a couple different sites I read that he is only planning on cashing that in for the tag team titles, which
1: I noticed that when they were saying, when they were kind of explaining the briefcases throughout the night. And then right before the match started, they never specified who, what belt you have to challenge for. It's just, you have to, you know, it's a championship matchup. Yeah. Now, notably the promo for SmackDown on Friday, I want to say they are promoting that, like with his sights set on Braun Strowman.
0: Well, you would imagine that he's gonna get talked out of it. Like I could see Tucker Knight, his tag team partner, saying, No, you gotta go for the world title. You mm-hmm. gotta take one shot. I could see Mandy telling him to. Yeah. As he should. Yeah. I'm not saying he's gotta do it Friday night, but I tell you what, that'd be a hell of a rating. Yeah. If you wanna give a spike to your ratings Friday night? Yeah. You do it then. Yeah. Otherwise, you could make the match for backlash. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how you do that with Bray Wyatt. No,
1: for Otis, just in terms of, like, how he and Braun are presented on screen, you know, Otis is very good. He's a good wrestler. You know, he can go with anybody. I think just for pure story purposes, and you look how Braun ran through Bray Mm -hmm. and just how he runs through everybody. He gets on that freight train running around the ring, and he demolishes people through barricades and this and that. I think Otis has to be one of those Money in the Bank briefcase holders where you kind of, like, Seize on the opportunity, like a Seth Rollins at WrestleMania a couple of years ago, where Roman and Brock were both laying on the ground motionless. Mm-hmm. You know, like a like a Dolph Ziggler who cashed in on a, on Alberto Del Rio on a bad leg. Yeah. I, I think Bra- I think Otis has to seize an opportune moment where it's most advantageous to him, because I think otherwise, if you just straight up challenge Braun, like, all right, Braun backlash, you me, Braun's gonna run through you.
0: Well, he probably is. Like I I don't know what... This is the one that I just don't know how they're going to wind up doing. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Because on one hand, if you put Otis in against Braun, that's a great idea to do because... Vince you know, likes hosses. He does like his hoss matches. Otherwise, do you put him against Bray if Braun loses the belt to him? And then yeah. you have to have Otis, your most over baby face, mm-hmm. go against the fiend, and then whatever happens there. I mean, it'd be
1: funny if, if he goes up against the Fiend and just, you know, the Fiend tries scaring the absolute living shit out of him and Otis just because of his character, just oh, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. like He, he shows no fear. Like nothing Bray does affects him.
0: It, it, it could be wild. Like, I mean, there's just so many possibilities they can go with or does he interject himself in that match and make it a triple threat? I mean, anything is possible with that. So, I mean, that is going to be something I think helps Friday night. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd hate to see him burn the tag team titles to do it. Yeah. Just because of how messy that division is, you could probably get a title program set up against New Day or whoever very, mm-hmm. very quickly. So I think it would be a waste of the writer's time to do it. Yeah. Push him as a singles competitor just for this one time. Whether you do it at Backlash, whether you do it on a random Friday night, do it and and see what happens. Yeah. Because I think the character is so over. Fans will want to see it. Yeah. Just give it some time to get some hype. Because I think if they just try doing it randomly on a Friday, I I, I think they'll miss the mark because of how over he is right now. But that wasn't the biggest wrestling story of the weekend. No. Monday, we had a bit of a surprise come down on Raw Uh involving one
1: Jackie Lynch. And they, yeah, they announced it uh, a couple hours before the show would, was uh, going to start that she was going to be on the show, and she had a major announcement to make, and everyone's kind of going, oh, I wonder what it could be. And lo and behold, uh, we didn't have to wait long to figure out what it is. First segment, right opened up.
0: Yep, that she's standing in the ring with the Money in the Bank briefcase. Which was the, weird. Yeah, it was. It, 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 like, going
1: into it, I'm like, why does she have the briefcase?
0: Yeah, I didn't understand that either. And then Asuka comes down. She's and She's like, well,
1: that's mine, that's mine, that's yeah, mine.
0: Yeah, and then Becky goes, yeah, you're right. Because when I talked to WWE officials, I wanted to make sure that the right person won this and you were the right person. And as she opens up the briefcase, the women's title is inside it. Uh-huh. And she says, you're not wrestling me for the title. You are the champion. Uh-huh. And as Oscar is freaking out about it, she's like, you know, celebrating. She goes, you continue being a warrior, I'm going to go be a mother. And yep. it's announced that Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins are now expecting some congratulations to them. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So Becky, will be leaving the WWE. Be-
1: I'm just calling it. Now that kid is going to be jumping all over the place. Oh yeah. Give given his parents, you know, history and their pedigree. That kid is going to be jumping everywhere.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to think that uh, I mean Becky's gonna be gone from TV, and yeah. it's gonna be uh, obviously we wish them nothing but the best. Yeah, absolutely. And to see where the storylines are gonna go now uh, is gonna definitely detour from the original plan because I'm yeah. pretty sure it was gonna be Becky versus Shayna Baszler. Yeah, you're now gonna have Oscar versus be- or Shana in the big SummerSlam payoff
1: match. Give me that matchup. Holy yes, crap.
0: because if anything storyline came out of this. Holy crap, Shayna Baszler got over as a heel with Uh two scathing promos if you weren't sold on her being a heel before. Yeah. Going after Becky and Seth without naming Seth. Yeah. And then the Natty Nightheart promo. Oof. Just brutal, which I loved every minute of. Yeah. If you're going to do it and you're going to make her the worst person ever, you just
1: did it. It's up there.
0: Oh, yeah, it definitely took purpose. Because the rest of Raw was pretty standard, nothing really crazy to write home about. No. Um, I will say, though, I, I was kind of very critical of Charlie Caruso, though. Okay. Her questions when she was asking Drew McIntyre just seemed like she wasn't listening to the answers he was given. Mm. It kind of seemed out of place. Mm. And then at the end when there was Edge versus Orton in the ring. Yeah. And they're talking about doing their wrestling match now mm-hmm. for Backlash. She kept hyping up this, this is going to be the greatest wrestling match of all time. And I really kind of sat there and I was like, w- this reminded me when Gus Johnson was talking about the Fedor-Brett Rogers match in uh, MMA. Okay. And really trying to oversell it. I had the same vibe with this. And, sure. And usually I, I really do like when Charlie's doing interviews. Right. I didn't much care for – I just thought her timing was off all night. You know, and everybody I'm, has a bad night. Oh, yeah, sure. Which, I like I say, I just have to be kind of a little critical of that. Is I was just very surprised by it because usually she's she's very on point with her stuff, but it just right. you know, like the Drew segment, the questions were off um, when the answers are given, and I want to say there's like one other time in the night I was like something ain't right here, and like I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, and then just like I said, that last the how they closed the show, I didn't, I was not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Like I know they really want to push Edge Jordan again, and sure, yeah. okay yeah. with that. And if we're gonna have a wrestling match, and and how they explained it made sense. Wasn't mad about. But I was just like, "Eh, something just ain't selling right here. Yeah. But overall, a strong weekend of pro wrestling. A lot of stuff to watch as we're moving forward, going into Backlash, which they have not given a date for.
1: Uh, No, they said it was uh, in five weeks from Sunday. So it's sometime in like late June. Okay.
0: I yeah I didn't catch when I just heard that they were doing that so. I, I just I just
1: heard like when I was looking at my phone at one point during uh, Money in the Bank they mentioned it that it was going to be in like five or it was either that or it was on Raw or something where they said it was going to be in five weeks yeah it was something it was just so, so, so a, it's a, it's a month away
0: it was a throwaway line and it was going to be. You know a lot of buildup going into it, which not a bad thing, but yeah. the direction where they're going now in the post-Becky Lynch era is going to be really the storyline to watch. Mm-hmm. But hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about this past weekend of wrestling? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Money in the Bank. Talk to us. And if you want some more in-depth wrestling coverage, check out the show. I co-host with Rich from 3FN on the 3 Fat Nerds Podcast Network. It's that wrestling show. We definitely want to have some interaction there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies are b movies more your style then the folks over at they call this a movie have you covered join us every thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi action comedy and more we are available on itunes stitcher spotify and podbean at they call this a movie they called this a movie testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time
2: Hey, this is
0: Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up, I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, we have some local minute news.
1: Yeah, we got some local minute news, and it's unfortunate news, but I think it's news we all kind of saw coming. You know, it was just a matter of time before uh, it was announced, and it came down on Monday, May 11th, as we record, That the American Hockey League has canceled the remainder of the 2019-2020 season, uh, saying in a statement, quote, After a lengthy review process, the American Hockey League has determined that the resumption and completion of the 2019-2020 season is not feasible in light of current conditions. The league's operational focus has turned toward actively preparing for the 2020-21 to 2021, excuse me, season. We are very grateful to the National Hockey League and its teams for their support and leadership in navigating through the challenges faced over the past two months. The AHL continues to place paramount importance on the health and safety of our players, officials, staff, and fans, and all of their families, and we all look forward to returning to our arenas in 2020-2021. Close quote. Tough break, but obviously yeah.
0: everything going on. We we expected I mean, him. Yeah. The, the Devils now finish in fourth place. If I'm, I so, yeah.
1: right. which is a shame because they, it was arguably their best season they've had since they. You know, the Devils came into town here. You know, they had that. What was it like an eight game losing streak or something like that, and then they rattled off like eight, nine, ten wins in a row or mm-hmm. something crazy. So they're having a great season.
0: Yeah, they're having a great season, and, and it sucks that it's had to end like this. But obviously, safety comes first for yeah, players, yeah. staff, and f- and fans. Yep. So unfortunately, you know we're going to have to wait till later this year to October, see October. I want to say to see the October return if it's going to return on time or yep. where, where we're at in the world. I mean, we just don't know. I mean, there's so many things up in the air. Yep. But definitely, congratulations to the guys on a great season and obviously fighting hard till the very end. So yeah, go from there. Yep. So let's talk some. The Last Dance.
1: And my God, I wish I would have gotten a heads up. I was going to need a box of tissues for this episode.
0: ESPN's documentary series on the 1998 Chicago Bulls has been nothing but spectacular. Yeah.
1: We are going to be talking spoilers
0: about episodes 7 and 8. So if you haven't watched, we are giving you fair warning. Pause the episode. Jump in the conversation. When we come back, because Pad in three, two, one, what did you think?
1: I thought it was a really good episode. You know, very emotional. You know, didn't realize they were going to get that emotional with everything. And it was one of them, two of the more powerful episodes I think they've had.
0: Yeah, it definitely hit all the, all the, the feels and, and just the emotion of what Jordan was going through and, and with the tragedy that happened with his father, which I didn't know. Yeah. I knew about that. I
1: didn't know, you know, cause again, when he was in his prime and in his playing career, I was very young and didn't give a, you know, what about sports, right? I knew they were a thing and I'd heard of the bulls and I'd heard of Chicago and I've heard of Michael Jordan. But like outside of that, I didn't know anything.
0: Right, and it was just so, just gut wrenching, and and where you, you hit right in the head It is just so emotional to see it, and yeah. let alone relive it with him mm-hmm. during this documentary. Uh, you know about his father's murder and how he how he came back and and won the 1996 championship and just to see that footage Oy. of when they won on Father's Day yeah and him on the floor crying my God just
1: not even crying bawling his eyes out
0: yeah and you know rightfully so I, I yeah was, I was I'm, I'm not going to shy away from it I was tearing up myself watching that no oh, I was too it just it hit right in the gut and you know just how much emotion we talk about when players play with emotion, and Mm -hmm. and especially Jordan at the level he is, and obviously winning at that moment in time and just letting it just all pour out of him. Yeah, and
1: and that's the thing I think they made really clear and, and conveyed very well. To that point, his father was there for everything for him. Every championship win, you know, they said that he tried to make it to as many home games in Chicago as he could, mm-hmm. you know. So he was always there. And to you know, not have your father there for the first time in in your life, doing the thing you love and doing the thing he loved to watch you do, and reach the pinnacle of the of the mountaintop after taking sixteen months off when when everyone was kind of casting doubt and thinking not thinking you could do it again. All just all the emotions, man
0: yeah i mean it's just a powerful episode yeah to say the least like it just it hits so much you know from just trying to comprehend what he was going through at that time Mm -hmm. and then you're watching it with him i mean it's just yeah it it, it's just where you really want to say about how sports hits you on that level Mm -hmm. i mean this is just yeah was that example and like i said i i was, you know, tearing up, and I'm not going to lie about that.
1: Yeah, on a slightly happier note, uh, Jordan's reaction to, what was it, Carl Malone's comments? Gary Payton. Or Gary Payton. Thank you. Gary Payton's comments about shutting him down and really both bothering Jordan. Uh, yeah, hi, uh, Internet. We have the new Jordan meme.
0: Yeah, I mean to – That to, gif is going to get used to, everywhere. To flip the coin. Oh, my God. When he was talking about uh, Gary Payton and let alone – when Peyton – I mean, if you know anything about Gary Payton, Gary Payton likes to talk. Oh yeah, one of the biggest trash talkers in all of the NBA. Oh yeah, and when Payton was talking about playing Jordan in the '96 Finals mm-hmm. and how he shut him down, you got the most sinister laugh coming out of Jordan. That was the
1: funniest thing I've ever seen. Like I saw that and I'm like, that's getting gift right now, and I cannot wait to use it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I give him credit for trying to say that because of how. The Bulls that year were just on a different level. Yeah, but you 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 can't like no you you can't say that. And it just was like wow. Jordan's reaction is priceless. I mean, that's gonna be something to last. At, at least it now replaces crying Jordan.
1: Yeah, no. I'd suffice it to say that one's gonna replace crying Jordan, and because that the laughing one's gonna get a lot more use.
0: Oh, yeah. The laughing one is going to be all over the place this year and moving forward for the remainder of time. Uh I I fully applaud that one. That one is just... Just to go back to where this whole series has been and showing the ranges of emotion of Jordan as a competitor. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that... We now really see that driven home is never talk trash to Jordan. Holy Christ. In any which way, shape, or form.
1: Ken and ODPH Society, if I ever get the opportunity to meet Michael Jordan, make sure I like bend the knee or do something. Yeah. Because Lord knows if I don't say the proper thing, this man will annihilate me in a game of basketball.
0: Yeah, he definitely played with so much of a chip on his shoulder, and Holy now and now you're seeing Christ. the breakdown of, of of a perfectionist. Oh my God! That you just needed to give him just a small bit of motivation.
1: Not even a small bit, like a microscopic bit of motivation. So even oh, I he I, you didn't acknowledge me at dinner. Okay.
0: Yeah, when you take what? a look. At, yeah, which I mean, George Carl, who was coaching the Sonics at the time blew by him at a restaurant, and they know each other from the North Carolina days and such. That was prime example of you just needed to take Jordan off.
1: Boom. And and I forget who it was they interviewed when they were talking about that, that it wasn't Jordan or anybody. I forget who said that. They were like, yep, that was a mistake.
0: Yeah. And even to the point where he was talking about the guy from the Bullets, uh, the Bradford Smith. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, I remember hearing about that story. It, that uh, you know somebody said something to Mike, and just that that was enough to set him off. Is like, and it turns out that whole story was made up. Yeah, about the one night where this I think he was a rookie at the time. Yeah, he was dropped thirty seven on the Bulls, and yep. Jordan needed to give himself motivation, so he created this whole cr- story about how the guy was being disrespectful to him. Yeah, and then the next night Jordan was playing back to back and just completely went bananas. See, but
1: at the same token, though, like. At the same time, like okay, it's a fake story. I can see it happening though, just because oh, just it, because you know. get a rookie, you know, high expectations and, and a lot of anticipation and you know you know motive you know the emotions are through the roof. You know, oh, I'm getting ready to play Michael Jordan, the best player in the world. And oh, I just dropped thirty five on him. I'm going to talk all sorts of trap. Like I can see that happening. Is it advisable? No, but I can see it happening.
0: Oh, I can fully see it happening. But this is just where Jordan excelled at that. To get himself in a proper mind frame. Mm -hmm. And like I say, you're you're seeing both sides of him that we, as the public, have never seen. No. That just the mental preparation he did for games. And this was just a regular season game. Like, let's talk about the Washington game for a second. Yeah. It was a regular season game. It wasn't playoffs.
1: So there was nothing on
0: the line. There was nothing there. To give himself a story to get motivated after a bad loss Mm -hmm. and see the reaction to that is astonishing. I was sitting there blown away by it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that this was happening in front of my eyes to see the level that Jordan would go to. And I thought another thing, too, was when he was t- uh, talking about wor- being a teammate yeah, and how he would push his team and just really go to a different level with yeah. them just to see about his leadership – was really intense. I yeah, mean, yeah. To the point where he was breaking down, talking about his his leadership role. And he goes, mm-hmm. "The one thing you can say is I wanted to win more than any anybody, oh, yeah. but I would never ask my teammates to do something I wouldn't do." And that was so strongly delivered. Yeah, yeah. It resonated. Like yeah. I remember, like that was my big takeaway from that episode because just to hear that. You could hear how he approaches things, Mm -hmm. and
1: it's literally win or die. That is literally his mentality when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah, but you see that in all the great athletes. Yeah, you know the Tom Brady's, Derek Jeters, the Michael Jordans, the Wayne Gretzky's. That what was Jeter's thing for his entire career with the Yankees? If we don't win the championship, the season's a wash. Yeah, you know this the season ain't worth it. Brady, it's the same thing. You know, Kobe was the same way. You know, if, if the Lakers didn't win the championship, well, great, I played some seasons and might have gotten some accolades, but it don't mean nothing.
0: Yeah, and that just goes to show, like, the mental game is just the strongest part of Jordan's abilities. Mm-hmm. Just how he would get himself into a mind frame to go out there and just deliver night after night after night. It's absolutely just admirable and just to see that what it ultimately boiled down to is the ultimate competitor, and just the preparation uh-huh. to be the ultimate competitor. Like, yeah. he's not out there to make friends with everybody. No, I don't think he. Can.
1: That's what's. That's what the later in life is for.
0: Yeah, he just did not even care about that. That for him it was
1: I'm going to win. You're either with me or against me. Because even there, I'm not even. To your, I'm not even out there. I'm not out there to make friends. Point. You know, when they brought up him filming uh, Space Jam Mm -hmm. and then, oh, I need to train. I need Oh, Warner Brothers. Oh, okay, No big deal. We'll we'll build a a court on the on the back lot of our studio. And they built a full freaking basketball court. And he brought in Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, you know, all these big name players just to play pickup basketball. You know, no refs. Call your own fouls. He wasn't doing it for fun. He wasn't doing it to rub elbows and, and trade stories and have some fun and make some and some deeper connections. He was scouting everybody, yeah, so that he could he and his trainer were scouting everybody so that when they got back to the season, oh, when Reggie Miller's here on this part of the court, this is what he likes to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was just a brilliant strategist, and no matter what he did. It worked like it was just just to see the levels he would go to, even when he had a teammate like Scott Burrell, Mm -hmm. and they pointed out like he would ride him, sure, because he wanted that effort out of him. That he didn't care if he was loved or hated. He knew that if you're going to be on my sideline and you're going to be with me in those trenches right there fighting, you're going to have to step your game up. And if you don't, you're out of here. You're not going to be on my team. Just that whole just breakdown. And that is the core essence of this series, Mm -hmm. that for the last dance, this is how he treated him or treated his game from high school to college to the pros. And even when he tried to decide, I know they touched upon his baseball time period, which, I mean, I don't really put a lot of stock in just because, I mean, I think he did it just to try proving people wrong. But to pick up a new sport like that at that stage, you know. I Given his
1: work ethic, I think now – Obviously, star power and name power, you know, but taking that out of it, I think he could have easily made the majors.
0: He could have if he just, really
1: wanted to go. And just you look at the because he had a very brief time frame in in the minor leagues. They said in the documentary that they normally somebody from the White Sox organization said we normally wouldn't start him at Double A that he was started at Low A ball, you know. But just because of the, as crazy as the media was going to be, we you know Double A had the facilities to uh, you know hold those. But you just look at where he started, and they were talking about his work ethic, and that he'd be the first one in the batting cages, and he'd work off the off-speed pitching machines, and just you could see the they could see the improvements, and, and just to hear Terry Francona talk about, it, which didn't know that one, holy crap! Yep. Terry Francona managed Michael Jordan the minors. you know, just to hear Terry Francona who, much as I hate the Red Sox, he's won a title or two with them, so he knows a thing or two about baseball. If Terry Francona says give him you know five thousand at bats, he would have made the majors. I fully believe
0: it. I, I think so, too. I mean, to come in there from basically never playing baseball for... For
1: a number of years. I want to say it wasn't since at least maybe high school.
0: Yeah, so we'll say 10 years plus. At least easy.
1: Coming in there and hitting 200? Yeah. With with 200 with, like, two home runs and, like, 40-some-odd RBIs.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I say, I don't dwell upon it that much because it's, a, it's just a hiccup in time, but just to kind of go through and see that, when we see athletes transition sports, and I mean, the, the only the closest one we've had is Tebow right. lately. Right, right. Just to see how an athlete is that prepared and just the work ethic of Jordan could carry him to that level, Mm -hmm. it's mind-blowing. But that just goes to show just how dedicated he is to a craft Yeah, and to be the best. I mean, when we throw that word around, the best, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's cliche, but it kind of is. This is where you really see how somebody becomes the best Mm -hmm. and the preparation in every aspect of their life. I mean – it's like a weird obsession that we're watching, mm-hmm. you know, like a weird Truman show, but it kind of is. Yeah. And just to see how Jordan translates that. I mean, you're seeing so many different sides of him that you never have seen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, like it, it's been amazing to watch firsthand. Yeah. I have loved every episode I've seen. Of this. I,
1: I sincerely hope that when this is all said and done within in like a couple of months time, they make this available to buy physically. Because I would love to own this just every now not not frequently, but every now and then when I got nothing going on, you know, there's no movies I want to watch, there's no TV shows I want to watch, you know, no Netflix stuff. Uh, no, I'm looking for something to watch now, why don't I throw this on? No, oh, absolutely. Like, I, I understand it's probably going to all be on ESPN Plus, but I would still love to own a physical copy of this.
0: Yeah. I, I would love to get Jordan to autograph this. Yeah. But I, I would be <laughs> I'd be scared that, yeah, I, I would say the wrong thing and... You know, he's going to be like, well, you want to go play some basketball for it? Yeah. And I'll, and then he'll just complain. That'll be the
1: last we ever hear of you. Yep.
0: The ODPH will be retiring now. <laughs> but overall, the series has been everything we've expected it to be. It's been a great relief with everything going on with C-19 especially. Mm-hmm. Episodes 9 and 10 are going to be this coming Sunday night. Yep. As we are recording. So ESPN, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So check your local listings wherever you're listening to us from. And definitely we'll be recapping the entire series next week. Mm-hmm. So, Pad, we still got some bases to round.
1: Yeah, so I got some more wrestling stuff to talk about because as we were recording, so, hey, news came down when we were recording for once. Yeah. Not not after. Uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet is reported that Sting, yes, that guy, Stinger, is no longer under WWE contract. Uh, The article by Ryan Satin reads, quote, Pro Wrestling Sheet has learned that Sting is no not currently under contract with WWE. Sources tell us that despite the wrestling legend not being under contract at the moment, it does not mean the two sides won't work out a possible merchandising deal going forward. Uh, the WCW legend's exit from WWE was first speculated upon after the Major League Wrestling Figure podcast dropped news yesterday regarding his abrupt withdrawal from a toy line. Uh, the statement from Mattel explained, quote, Explained due to the circumstance due to circumstances out of our control sting needed to be removed from the legends series seven we'll look to include this figure in a future wave if he if he becomes available to us again shortly after cody fanned the flames of speculation regarding sting possibly making an appearance in aew by replying to the tweet with the gif of him listening from afar sting also tweeted a tw- twice about aew recently both regarding lance arm lance archer and jake the snake roberts uh of course we all remember Sting first uh, joined WWE in 2014. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Sting's no longer under WWE contract. Yeah, he's a free agent and I know there's been speculation that you know he's good to go and uh, well maybe we'll see.
0: We'll have to see. I at this stage of the game though where do you bring him in EW?
1: I, I bring him in as a manager role, perhaps, you know, not maybe a, uh, every episode type of thing, but he's there every now and then as a manager role. You know, I would, I don't want to see him in matches anymore. Don't get me wrong. Legendary wrestler. Oh, one, yeah, sure. one of the best of all times, but given his age and given his last wrestling match, I don't want to see something that potentially harms him even further. Put him in a manager role. You know, he, maybe he can get to hit a, uh, One of his moves, on whoever his client is facing, that way you keep him in the least amount of harm, but you still get to see him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know what, I could see him going back to the WWE as a Legends contract as sure. soon as soon as their furloughs are done. And, sure, and that because I think if anything that I know if he can still go one more time, I know the Undertaker has always talked about doing that dream match.
1: Yeah, and that might and and with the Undertaker documentary thing premiering on wwe network and and him saying oh i need that one last perfect match i can't think of a better match for him to go out on yeah i think that would make a lot of sense. the one match that people wanted to see for what 30 years now Mm -hmm. just for various reasons never been able to happen you finally get it to happen go out on go out on top
0: yeah absolutely so that being said you know we'll have to kind of wait and see about that and to close out this edition of the ODPH, we gotta talk some more UFC. Uh-huh. Now there are two more cards as we are recording take yeah. place Wednesday, May thirteenth, yep, and Saturday, May sixteenth. Yep. So, Pat, why don't we break down? The uh, co- and the mains?
1: Yeah, so the first fight, as you mentioned, is taking place May 13th. Both of these fights are taking place at the same place uh, it did this past weekend for UFC 249. That would be the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, for the co-main event on Wednesday, you have a heavyweight matchup between Ben Rothwell and Ovin St. Peru.
0: Now, that one, this is the time that OSP is moving up to heavyweight. Uh-huh. So, uh, not sure exactly how much weight he usually cuts to get to 205, but St. Peru has kind of been, I, I don't want to say in a gatekeeper role, mm-hmm. but he really hasn't gotten anywhere since his, uh, I know he got a push against John Jones when John made his big return. From, yeah, uh, from o- of, o-
1: OSP's Wikipedia page lists him at 240 and a half pounds. Yeah. So if that's what he walks around normally, he's he's cutting 35 pounds or more so. Heavyweight, arguably not cutting anything.
0: No, so I think that he can come in there and definitely do some damage against Rothwell. Rothwell has been a long time fighter in MMA, but I like St. Peru in this one. I, I do for heavyweight. You
1: know, I do too. You know, the, uh, Rothwell's last fight was in December of last year where he knocked out uh, Stefan Struve uh, on a UFC on ESPN card. Uh, and also uh, looking at OSP's record, uh, he's got a one-fight win streak going at the same time. Uh, no, I'm... I'm Rothwell's got a lot of tread, the tires. He's got a lot of mileage on the tires. So does OSP, but slightly less. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be OSP.
0: Yeah, I do, do too. Uh, We'll say by decision. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I can't imagine this. It it might be like a late round knockout or something, but like not anything like Engano speed. Mm Mm-hmm. After that, we've got, for the main event, you've got a light heavyweight matchup between Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira.
0: Now, this one is going to be a fun match. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is, Father Time is catching up to Glover Teixeira. I mean, once, yeah,
1: uh, currently 40 years old, turns 41 in October.
0: Once the most feared man in the 205 division. When mm-hmm. he first came in, I know fighters were ducking him to yeah. fight. So, obviously, he's on the farewell tour, shall we say, because once you're at the age of 40, it's, you usually yeah. don't fight so much longer after. yeah. Anthony Smith, long-time contender for the 205 title.
1: 47 professional uh, matches in MMA.
0: Right. So coming back uh, on the quest to go fight John Jones one more time. I, I do like Lionheart in this. Uh, I think Smith is going to wear him out. I mean, he's the young gun, but they do strike a lot, so I expect this one's going to be a fun one. Yeah. I do like Smith with a stoppage. I'll okay.
1: Uh, should know uh, Glover to is on a, a, currently a three fight win streak uh, since he lost to Corey Anderson back in 2018. He's defeated Carl Robertson via submission. Uh, he beat Ion Kutalaba uh, via submission. Uh, and then he won, beat Nikita Krylov via split decision, uh, whereas uh, Anthony Smith is on a one-fight win streak. Of course, he he lost to John Jones at 235, came back and beat Alexander Gustafson at uh, UFC Fight Night in June of last year. Um, hmm. I, you know, i would going say Glover in a, in a shocker. Just you know, okay. he, He's on a recent win streak. He's got everything going for him. Just shot in the dark.
0: Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens there.
1: Yep. Uh, after that looking at the uh, because it's all it's really sticking out to us for that card A couple other names on that card just fighting uh, of note uh, Ray Borg is appearing on that card this uh, this Wednesday and then you've also got Andre Arlovsky showing up man that man's been around forever yeah good Lord let me take a look and see how many fights that man's got in his career because Lord have mercy holy shit it's a lot Uh, he's got 49 professional MMA uh, fights under his belt the first one being holy shit uh, you don't want to know how old I was when this fight took place Uh, his first professional National MMA fight was on the 9th of April, 1999, in St. Petersburg, Russia.
0: Orlovsky has a lot of... We say tread on the tires God. a lot. Like, listen, I, I'm going to be one of these people that say it. I don't want to see him fight for no, his own safety. No, He's at that age. He takes a lot of headshots because he likes to strike.
1: Yeah. he's he's He won two matches in a row uh, back in 2017 and then early 2018. Uh, after he beat Stefan Struve in March of 2018, he lost his next two fights, uh, and then he has a no contest uh, in a fight against Walt Harris. It, it was an over; it was overturned from a split decision win for for Harris uh, at 232. Then he lost uh, in April of 2019. Beat Ben Rothwell in July of last year, but then lost his last fight in November of last year.
0: Man,
1: yeah, he's been around a while.
0: Yeah. I... <sighs> I, I hope this is it. Yeah. I, I really do for his safety. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. So yeah. We'll have to wait and see what happens Wednesday night, yep. ESPN+. Plus. Yep. And then Saturday night on ESPN, Yes,
1: uh, there's another card taking place. Uh, two fights that are sticking out to us on this one. Uh, the co-main event is a women's strawweight matchup between Claudia Gadelha and Angela Hill.
0: Uh, Gadelha, I like in this one. Hill is going to definitely show up in scrap. Uh, Hill can definitely pull off an upset I'm not saying she's not going to But I do like Gadea in this one I think Gadea always shows up for these fights
1: Yeah, looking at the uh, records uh, Claudia is 17-4 and four, uh, g- Coming off a one-fight win streak uh, Where she beat Randa Marcos via a unanimous decision in July of last year uh, And then Angela Hill is on a three-fight win streak uh, Beating Ariane Carnelosi uh, At a UFC fight night in September of last year uh, she beat Hannah, Hannah's ciphers, uh, via TKO at a UFC fight night in January of this year. And then she beat Loma Luke Boone me, uh, via unanimous decision in February of this year. Uh, I, you know, what I'm going to say Claudia too, you know, Angela seems like a scrapper, you know, five of her wins are by knockout. She's got seven decision wins under her career, mm-hmm. you know, but I, th- I think it's going to end up being Claudia.
0: Yeah, definitely. You could see that one going either way.
1: Yeah, and then for your main event, don't blink, don't take a bathroom break. This one might be over quick. Uh it is versus is a heavyweight matchup between Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris.
0: Man, this one is with a heavy heart. If I am not mistaken, I believe this is Walt Harris's first fight back since the death or murder of his stepdaughter. Oh wow. If I am not mistaken. Uh, Pat, I know you got Harris's record. When was his last fight? His
1: last fight was in July of 2019.
0: Yep, it definitely was. Um, So with a heavy heart. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I, here, I, yeah
1: here it is on his Wikipedia page. Uh, his daughter went missing at the end of 2019. She was reported missing on October 24, 2019. It, 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 yeah, No. Th- this is his first fight since his daughter, the incident with his uh, daughter.
0: Yeah, uh, man, mm-hmm. Uh with a heavy heart, man. Yeah. Uh, I I'm going to be rooting very very hard for Walt Harris on this one. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to see him get the W here. Yeah,
1: no. Uh nothing against Alister Overeem. Uh he holy shit if you we thought uh Arlovski's got a lot of fights under his square. Overeem's got 64 matches under his belt, uh, 45 and 18. It got a one-fight losing streak, uh, losing to Rosenstruck uh, back at the end of de- in, in December of last year. Whereas Walt Harris uh, got a two-fight win streak going on. You know what? Given everything that's going on with Walt Harris, seen this kind of thing before. Uh, most notably, I forget who the gentleman's name was, but at the time, this was a couple of years ago. He played for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he was a receiver. I, that's all I can remember. Uh, and he was playing the Patriots on. They were playing the Patriots on a Sunday night game, and he absolutely smoked us. Tory Smith? Nah, I don't remember who it was. Something hap- but something happened to a family member of his, this this guy's. That it was like a big thing. It was in the news, and and something had happened to this guy. And and hit us up hashtag ODPH if you know who I'm talking about. I I remember this very vividly. That like oh my like, god, oh, that's you know terrible news. It's something had happened to a family member that they had just died like tragically. And he absolutely torched the shit out of us on a sudden. So, so I, I've seen this kind of thing several times before in sports, where you know, especially a couple of years ago, Isaiah Thomas's sister mm-hmm. uh, passed away, and he just absolutely lit up whoever the, the Celtics were playing. You know, Brett Favre famously when his father passed away, and he went to that Monday night game against the 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 Raiders and threw like four touchdowns in the first half or something absurd like that. i yeah. I've seen this before, where like you know, family member of the, of the athlete. Passes away, and then they just as we go on a monster win. Wouldn't surprise me if Paul Harris wins.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to see Harris do some, you know, get the win here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised about that as well. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. That's coming down Saturday night on ESPN. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What's your picks for the two UFC cards coming this week? We definitely want to know. That being said, the music you heard at the beginning of the show is that of Fair City Fire. There are friends from Austin, Texas, but we're going to close with some floodlands. There are buddies here in the 607. CSRN is currently out on digital format, so if you haven't picked it up, go pick it up. How do you get there? Simple. OchoDorapalear.com/slash/music. You can check out everything going on with Floodlands. Shout out the Robots. Second Sooter is brand new EP. Super Duper is out on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play as well as Bandcamp. So you definitely want to go support them. Yard Party, Tom Jolu. All the great music you hear on the ODPH. You can go download yourself by stopping over to OchoDoroparleyHour.com. Also there, you can check out the ODPH directory. We can find out links to Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, who's going to be doing live stream with the Cure with us, Excite Wrestling, and all the great pod groups that we are in. So shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Legion Independent Podcast. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout-out to Hashtag 607 Podcast, and shout-out to the apocalypse community because, Pad, we are currently getting pod-rated today. Oh, cool. So as we're recording this week, we're going to have a lot of our friends leaving some reviews, doing some downloads. We can't say thank you enough for supporting us and checking us out, so definitely thank you, thank you, thank you. And also have to give a shout-out to 8122 Productions, Rich Ron, and Hashtag Big Night Cool. Still on Twitter, Pad. Oh, boy. Hasn't been kicked off yet. Oh, boy. Bringing the heat as he can only do the one and only Diesel. Uh, they have a lot of stuff going on. Their Patreon. So, patreon.com slash 8122productions. You can check out the two new shows they have on there, which is I Love Movies. Ron has been killing it lately doing... A lot of movie reviews, and I don't know if we talked him into doing a Dark Phoenix one. We're going to have to kind of wait and see. I know he has a list right now. Oh, Jesus Of all movies. Yeah. No. He, 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 we're,
1: he. we're talking the recent Dark Phoenix movie? Oh, yes. Uh, hey, let me, for those of you who haven't seen Dark Phoenix, I know I, I said this on your Facebook page yesterday for somebody who hadn't seen it, uh, but for those of you fortunate, f- those fortunate souls who haven't seen the newest X-Men Dark Phoenix movie, uh, if you want to see what the movie's like without having to pay money to see the movie, go light a pile of shit on fire and watch it for, what, what was the movie, two hours? Two and, a, two and a half. Yeah, it two two and a half hours. Uh, light a pile of shit on fire. Watch it for two two and a half hours. That's about the same thing. You'll and plus you'll save money.
0: You have heard if you go through the lineage of the ODPH episodes, we have a whole episode devoted to it. How bad it is, and it is one of our most downloaded episodes. It's a terrible we movie. We pour into it, so definitely want to check that out. But Ron's gonna have a hot take on whatever movie he's covering, so you definitely want to stay tuned for that. And especially, I love I love movies as one, but love is scary. Oh, you boy. know. You know, I, I, I love to say that I love to, I would want to talk about it here on the show, but that is not going to happen uh, because we've been told we've been kicked off by three providers. If uh. we so unfortunately, it's not worth it to us to do it. So if you really want to find out what's going on, $1 gets you in the door, $3 gets you a comfortable seat at the table, patreon.com slash 8122productions. And also on the ODPH webpage, you can find out everything you need to know about live stream for the Cure, which is going down May 27th through the 31st on twitch.tv slash guys. We are going to be part of a group of amazing content creators that are going to be helping raising money for the Cancer Research Institute. We tested the camera out today, so Rich, myself, and Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming are going to be teaming up talking about the worst video game movies ever and games that should have been made into movies. Now, if you do an early donation and you give us proof, you send it to us via DM, you show us a screenshot on your social media, however the case is, if we know that you definitely did it and you give us your picks, we will read them and shout you out during the stream. So if you want to get that notoriety, donate early to the Cancer Research Institute. The links are all on the ODPH page, and that is com. That's all I got for this week. So for Coach Duffy.
1: Who's out there trash-talking Michael Jordan, uh, word has it.
0: He's asked for a one-on-one game. Uh, uh, we just want to say this is a complete Coach Duffy move. This is not representing the ODPH. Coach, it's been nice knowing you. For Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Dural Parlay Hour. See you next time.